Welcome to Peak Health Unlocked, a docu-series show interviewing experts to unpack the latest science, technology, and wellness practices, all with the purpose of helping you unlock your peak health. This show would not be possible without the support of Thrive Performance and Regenerative Medicine, a team prepared to go all in to craft your personalized peak health plan. Visit the link in the show notes to start your health transformation. Enjoy the show. Colleen is a scientist with dual doctorates in biochemistry and molecular biology and microbiome expert about healing oneself through the gut. She received her PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology from John Hopkins University and is the co-founder of Pendulum Therapeutics. So as all guests get on this series, the opening prompt is really just around how you personally define immunity. Well, it's a tough question when we think about immunity just because I think how many of us have thought about immunity is not necessarily uh, jiving with all the things we're learning about immunity. And fundamentally, I think I've always thought of immunity as this great defense system that our body has that helps us from getting infections from things like bacteria and viruses. And I think what's changed in my mind about immunity as we've learned more about this microbiome space is that we actually have viruses and bacteria that live inside of us and they're playing an important role in our health. And so our immune system is a lot more sophisticated than just, I'm here to kill off bacteria. It has to differentiate between the bacteria that reside inside of us that are helping us, that are really part of that defense system, versus the external ones that are causing us health issues. And so to me, immunity has become a lot more complicated from, oh yeah, my system that kills bacteria to, wow, my system that has to understand what parts of the body are helping it and what parts are not, and and kind of to be able to differentiate those things. Yeah, great insights. It's one of the most uh, thorough answers that we've gotten on the first question. So I love it. And uh, we're going to be talking a lot about the microbiome and how it relates to immunity. But let's first off start with some definitions for the listener. So what is our microbiome, the virome, the viruses that live within it? And you know, I know we're going to be talking about a probiotics. So what's probiotics and prebiotics? Kind of just some, let's set some definitions before we dive deep into uh, the science of all of this. Absolutely. Well, the microbiome is this new emerging space that is really fascinating because what it encompasses is all of the microbes that are inside of us. And the microbes are bacteria, viruses, and fungi. And what we're learning is that the microbiome is almost like another organ inside of our body that has all of these different bacterial strains and viruses and fungi. And we're just starting to understand what role they play in our health. So when we talk about um, the virome, that is specifically the viruses that are part of the microbiome. So you have the microbiome and the virome is a subset of the microbiome. Then another subset is probiotics, and that's just referring to the bacterial strains. So the virome are the viruses, the probiotics are the bacterial strains, and then the prebiotics are the food that feed those, those bacteria. So prebiotics feed probiotics, and it's all kind of encompassed in this umbrella of the microbiome. Great. So um, you, in particular, your company is a Pendulum. So if you'll just tell us a little bit what Pendulum does and how that um differs from other probiotic strains or probiotic um, supplements that are out there? Are, are, are they even uh, considered supplements or what's the, uh, the term or what uh, classification do you guys fall under? 
Well, now you're starting to get into FDA regulatory territory. <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me start with uh, what, we, what we had in mind when we started the company. So when we started Pendulum, I think we started it in a very different way than all of your other probiotics companies that are out there. And the reason it's different is because we started it from a very scientific standpoint. Me and my two co-founders worked at a DNA sequencing instrument company, and we're starting to see the um, ability to apply DNA sequencing technologies to this emerging biology of the microbiome. And so we didn't come at this from an angle of, oh, look at these probiotics, or even look at this particular disease. We really thought, wow, there's an amazing amount of data in the microbiome, and there's this huge opportunity to create diagnostics and therapeutics and all sorts of different tools as we start to learn more about this emerging microbiome science. And so when we started the company, it really was all about that massive amount of data. And the technological advantage that we had was having been on the inside of a DNA sequencing instrument company, we knew how to use different types of DNA sequencing to really get a comprehensive, high-resolution look at the microbiome. We've then subsequently used that data to identify interventions. And the, the way that we think about probiotics or the microbiome is that we have this big vision, which is that if you use this data properly, you can create products that have the efficacy of a drug, but the safety of a probiotic. You can have an all-natural product that can be just as efficacious as a drug. And that's really what we set out to build. And so we're coming at it with kind of a scientific standpoint, a data-driven standpoint, and developing clinical efficacy the way you would for a pharmaceutical drug. Uh, and our first product is for people with type 2 diabetes um, and metabolic syndrome and has really been developed like you would a pharmaceutical drug with in vitro studies, preclinical studies, clinical studies. And what we showed in a double-blinded, placebo-controlled, randomized trial that was published in BMJ, Open Diabetes, was that Compared to placebo, the pendulum glucose control pills can result in a lowering of A1C by 0.6 and a lowering of blood glucose spikes by uh, over 33%. And that's really exciting because we had this idea that you could create a product that would have that kind of efficacy. And we are really the first company to create a product that demonstrates that it can be done. It's pretty amazing. Well, yeah, those results are huge. And I think you guys nailed it because... You know the the trend is towards a mo more holistic approach, or at least that's where what we promote at Thrive. And you know, I think also um, to do things as natural as possible. And also, you know, more than over eighty percent of the population now, there's supposed to be some incidence of metabolic dysfunction. So, can you just talk a little bit about how, for the the listeners out there, how you know lowering glucose can help in conjunction with metabolic dysfunction or lowering, lowering insensitivity, I should say. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting to think about what we've learned over the last couple of decades about how our body metabolizes sugar and how we manage glucose. Um, I think for a long time, we've thought about people who have a complete inability to, to manage their sugar metabolism as, as people with type 2 diabetes. But what we're learning is that the ability to metabolize sugar is a fundamental core principle of health. And it's not just that, oh man, once everything's broken, you've got a problem. It's that everything we do is we 
uh, eat sugars and provide our bodies with all of the tools to be able to metabolize those sugars are actually an important part of our health. And what we're learning is that as we age, we are decreasing our ability to metabolize those sugars effectively. And I think this is kind of uh, something that people will realize without having to have any kind of science knowledge or read any clinical trials, which is that as we age, our metabolism slows down. I think we can all remember a time where we could eat or drink whatever we wanted to. We didn't have to worry about it. And really what's happening is as we're aging is our ability to metabolize sugars is being impacted. And you might not know that just by getting an A1C measurement or just by getting your fasting blood glucose measurement. Those are the kind of measurements you get when you go to your doctor typically. What people are starting to realize is that you can actually wear a continuous glucose monitor that shows you how your body responds to all sorts of different sugars um, coming, coming in different ways, your, your diet um, uh, being the primary one. But what you can see is that your body metabolizes sugars differently for different types of, for example, foods. And for, for many people, you're metabolizing a lot of stuff perfectly fine, but there might be certain foods that are causing you to spike out of range. And what these continuous glucose monitors have allowed us to do is to really get all those data insights and to realize that it's not just about this kind of more blunt-ended tool of A1C, which takes three months to see a difference in, or your fasting glucose. It's about how your body responds to the foods that you're eating day in and day out. And, and that's where this glucose control becomes really important. And I'll say, you know, for example, I, I don't have type 2 diabetes or prediabetes. Um, we talked about Kevin Rose also doesn't have type 2 diabetes or prediabetes, but what both of us observed was that when we took pendulum glucose control and we gave our bodies the microbiome that allowed it to metabolize sugars, it really improved the, the times in which we were spiking out of control. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Uh... You know, you, you um, keep taking the words out of my mouth here at Thrive. We actually use a CGM, and that's one way how we introduce to people who may not even have type 2 diabetes. You know, chronic disease doesn't show up in a day, right? It shows up over time. So the goal is to teach people prior to having some sort of uh, glucose dysfunction or metabolic dysfunction, what's going on based on their environment and the food they're putting in their mouth. So my, my follow-up question is, you know, obviously you guys are, you have taken it before. So, and this may be jumping ahead of the, of the gun, but what have you guys have any data in patients that are not type two diabetics or should patients be taking it that are just, let's say, quote unquote, healthy? Yeah. So, so before I answer your question, I wanted to follow up. I love that you guys are using CGM in the clinic. And, I, and I'll say that for people who are uh, not using a CGM and not getting to see that data, there are things that you're experiencing that could tell you whether you might be having some kind of issue with metabolizing sugar. So for example, there's things like brain fog or that after lunch lull, I uh, used to say, I I'm definitely a smarter person if you talk to me at 9 a.m. than at 2 p.m. And, and many of us kind of experience these lulls in the day or we experience times in which we're not quite as sharp as other times. And that's our, that's our bodies kind of telling us without the advantage of having a CGM that there might be something about our metabolism of sugars that is causing us to be on a roller coaster ride throughout the day. And so getting the data to, to really look at that, I think is super important 
important. And, and to your point, you might be, all of your other diagnostic tests might be telling you that you're healthy, but over time, these small changes that lead you ultimately down a path of, of being unhealthy are the things you're really trying to look for. And so we definitely have um, customers who do not have diabetes or prediabetes that are measuring their blood glucose levels and experiencing advantages from pendulum glucose control. In fact, actually only about half of our customers have been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. It's fascinating. And as, as someone um, working with these two guys, Rhett and Philip, they've got me linked up on a CGM right now. And somehow they have access to my data. So I'm, I'm, I've been looking forward to this chat so I can have some carbs again, hopefully. Well, ultimately that's the goal, right? How do we have the right tool to measure so that we can optimize for uh, happiness in life too? Absolutely. Exactly. I mean... I, I would like to, I mean, you mentioned a little bit about um, just like brain fog. So I, I've been pretty quiet because I'm, I'm more of the mental fitness guy with the, with the team. And so I'd love to know what you're seeing, if there's um, any other trends or links when it relates to just our, our cognition, our mental performance, and like you said, clarity and whatnot. Yeah, we get these people contacting us with these amazing stories. Just they're so excited to let us know that they bought the you know, pendulum glucose control to help them with managing their sugar. But what they experienced was increased energy, increased uh, um, ability to think about things uh, that they were experiencing brain fog on previously. We even had somebody call in and say that her ping pong coach told her that her ping pong game has just been amazing. She's reacting more quickly. And, and she <laughs> said, awesome. oh, I've only just started taking these pills. I think that's what's happening. Um, it's it just that we don't realize, we don't understand how all of these different things are connected. We're just starting to un unfold and uh, discover that. Um, and we, there are things we experience like brain fog, like what we call down days, all of these things, there is a physiological reason for why we experience them. I think we just haven't really tied all that together. And so, and we don't have an ability to measure them. A lot of them are sort of self-reported. What are you feeling? But as a person, you know, when you're feeling sharper, you know, when you're feeling a little bit duller. And so this is something that we hear a lot from our, our customers. Um, it's not just about A1C lowering and blood glucose spikes going down. We definitely get a, a majority of people reporting those numbers. Numbers. But we also have um, nine out of 10 people reporting that they have improved GI, improved digestion. Uh, and then we also have seven out of 10 people reporting they have improved energy. Um, so there are all of these other things that we weren't really even measuring in our clinical trial that people are experiencing as a result of improved metabolism of their meals. Amazing. Yeah, Mark, uh, happiness isn't found in a cookie, so you're not going back. <laughs> we just love to mess with Mark as a, as a carb addiction like we've all had at one point in our lives, and now we have access to his data. But um, but we, Rhett and I have both uh, really put ourselves through a lot of different tests with the CGM and in conjunction with like sleep trackers with Aura or Whoop uh, and, and messing around with how we combine foods, late night eating alcohol, lack of sleep, and it's really cool. So I'm really excited to actually try the product at some point and kind of mess around with the, the sleep tracker and the CGM to see how it affects it. So uh, really cool on that. But so my question um, uh, would be, do we not have this strain or strains of bacteria in our microbiome naturally, or do we kill them off or do they die off or from something that we're doing? 
Yeah. So um, maybe what I'll I'll do is I'll start with how we identified these particular strains and their functions. And it was really through work where we were comparing people who have diabetes uh, and prediabetes and obesity to people who don't have those conditions. And what we found, and and actually other researchers around the world were also observing these correlations. Um, What we found was that people who are healthy have a vast abundance of a certain set of functions that people with type 2 diabetes are low or even entirely missing. And those functions, the key ones that we really decided to go after were two. One is the metabolism of fiber into butyrate. And butyrate is known to be upstream of GLP-1 and insulin and glucose tolerance. And so we felt like, oh my, and this is a, a missing piece here where we know that fiber is really good for us. We know that butyrate has all these downstream um, effects, and and yet no one has ever known what the microbes were that actually did that metabolism of fiber to butyrate. And furthermore, what was being discovered was that we humans don't have the ability to do that metabolism. It's all our microbiome. So if you're missing those microbes, the fiber you're eating is literally going right through you. And so that was one set of strains that we thought, oh my gosh, there's a clear mechanism of action here. Let's go after that. And then the second one that we observed was that people who are healthy tend to have a vast abundance of certain microbes that are likely regulating your mucin lining in your gut lining. So I think we started to hear about this this leaky gut syndrome, which is really just saying that in your gut lining, there are regulations that keep that lining at a, at a certain density. And that's important because as your microbiome is making all these small molecules, if you don't have the right gut lining, those small molecules make their way across that gut lining and into your bloodstream. And this is causing things like inflammation, heightened immune responses. And so you really want to have the right gut lining. And it comes down to these microbes that are responsible for ensuring that mucin layer in your gut lining is properly regulated. And so what we found was that healthy people have a vast abundance of some of these mucin regulators and people with diabetes were were low or again, entirely missing them. And so that was the second thing. So it's really about metabolizing fiber into butyrate and about the mucin regulation in your gut lining. And so the idea was to create microbes that could perform these functions and give them back to people. One of the things that's been observed is it's not just that once you have type 2 diabetes, you've lost these things, kind of similar to many things. uh, You don't just all of a sudden one day wake up and you've got diabetes or all of a sudden wake up one day and now you're missing these microbes. It's something that happens over time. And we know that as you age, the diversity of your microbiome actually goes down. We know that when you travel and you mess with your circadian rhythm, the diversity of your microbiome goes down. We know that when women go through their menstrual cycle and when they are post-menopause, the diversity of their microbiome goes down. And so there are all these stress, that'll be another big one. We know that as people undergo periods of stress, the diversity of their microbiome goes down. And so there are things you're doing in terms of your diet that are changing your microbiome diversity, but there's all these other things that all of us experience that are also reducing diversity. And it happens over time. And so the idea here is, well, gee, if we could give these microbes back to people who are losing them for a variety of reasons, could we keep up that metabolism at the same rate that it was when they were younger and had a vast abundance of these? Very interesting. I've seen some of the studies that show like they can look at your microbiome and even determine if you, without looking at you, seeing if you're lean or if you're potentially obese. And there's studies that have taken the microbiome from lean individuals and placed them in obese individuals, and they start to uh, lose fat and and lean out. Can you? Uh, are you familiar with these studies? And can you like touch on on the significance of these? It's mind blowing that, that that's the case. 
Yeah, these are some of the most amazing studies that uh, where you're essentially doing a whole hog microbiome transplant. Uh, it's not pretty. It's definitely it's taking stool from one person and putting it in another. Um, and so you can start all your litany of jokes here, like, "Oh, what a shitty therapeutic!" Oh, <laughs> than that shit. Um, but they're fascinating because they show that when you do these whole hog microbiome transplants, you can actually change disease. And and for us, actually, one of the most compelling pieces of data came out in Europe about uh, maybe seven years ago, uh, right when we were starting this company. And it showed that if you did these fecal transplants from healthy people into people with diabetes, you could start to see resolution of their disease. And that tells you there's something in the microbiome that is fundamentally changing how that how the, those people's bodies are processing sugars. And this has been seen in also, uh, to your point, metabolism. Um, and it's certainly been seen in resolving infections, uh, in, in, in resolving GI issues, especially inflammatory ones. And so I think there's some early evidence that the, the microbiome could uh, have the opportunity to, to, to be, uh, you know, viable intervention for these different diseases. I think the issue with sort of going with just a whole hog microbiome transplant is the complexity of the microbiome. We don't really know what are all the different strains and what are all those functions. And so you might be seeing an improvement in one thing, but you might be causing problems for yourself in another thing. And I think this is why from a regulatory space, it's much more desirable to figure out what are the components that are conferring the benefit as opposed to giving the whole kitchen sink to people. Fascinating. Just shifting back to uh, your product, Colleen, I'm curious as the non-science guy on the line here, you know, is it is it like a one-shot deal? Do you take the product for a month or is it a long-term thing or a mix of, of that? Like how does how does that normally play out? Well, in the clinical trial for people with type 2 diabetes, people took it daily for uh, 12 weeks and, and that's where we saw the, the efficacy. And we, we see continued efficacy actually as you start to extend those trials. Um, it, the idea here is that we are restoring microbes that people have lost over time through a variety of different reasons. The One of the most compelling ways you can change your microbiome is actually through your diet. And so for different people, if they, so for example, when people move to a higher fiber diet, they're giving the food for these microbes to be able to live and to be able to colonize and replicate faster. And so the idea is that if you also did some kind of a lifestyle change, a dietary change, like increasing your fibers alongside taking the pendulum glucose control microbes, that you would um, potentially bolster the, the strains. One of the interesting things we observed was that we gave people these strains for 12 weeks. And then we did a washout period for four weeks. So they didn't take any strains for four weeks. And we looked at their microbiomes at the end of those four weeks. And what we found is that for the vast majority of people, you don't see the microbes in there after they're done taking, they don't take the pills for four weeks. But there was about 15 to 20% of patients who still had the microbes even after they'd stopped taking the pills for four weeks. And that's super fascinating because what is it about those people, either their starting microbiomes or something they did you know, unknowingly to change their lifestyle that allowed those microbes to colonize? I think that starts to unlock you know, what could we be doing besides just giving ourselves these microbes? What are the other things we can be doing that would help them to colonize and sustain in our bodies long-term? So this is you know, admittedly really early stage and we're just starting to learn about it, but I really see an opportunity there to kind of have a, a more holistic approach that allows you to have the optimal microbiome without having to necessarily take the pills every day, which is probably a terrible thing for me to say as a CEO of the company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was going to ask Colleen just a follow-up question. So 
have you guys done any specific studies on your product and specific types of diets? Obviously, we can conjecture, but I mean, any data on that thus far that you, do you recommend uh, in conjunction with the probiotic? Well, actually, in most of the studies we do, we purposely try to ask people to not change their diet. We're asking them to try to not change anything else except just take the pills so that it's as controlled as possible. Um, but some of the studies that we've done actually with, with our customers, we have these little pilot studies that we ask them if they want to engage in. Um, and we have a lot of customers who, who love to experiment, so they're, they're eager to be a part of this. But we, we recently have been doing a pilot where we're asking people to take the pills and then also take the pills along with a increased dietary fiber and actually giving them um, meals and, and, and things like that so that we can we can normalize and track what is the, the fiber intake and the change. And it's really fascinating because you can see that um, kind of depending from person to person that actually having a dietary change, like increasing the fibers, can can improve also their response to uh, the, the pendulum glucose control pills. So there's a lot to uncover there still, but it does look like nutrition and the microbiome are inextricably tied to each other. And there are ways that you could uh, change both in order to optimize for your body how you're metabolizing glucose. Yeah, I mean, you know, that new, the new theory that type 2 diabetes is reversible to a certain extent, obviously, but you, know, you can make some lifestyle changes and really. Um, get back to almost normal, I would say, in conjunction with the pendulum pill, this could be quite remarkable. Absolutely. And that's really the dream, you know, is how do you not only take people who are suffering from diabetes uh, and, and bring them back into a healthier state, but also how do you prevent people from even getting there in the first place? You know, many people are told, well, you have pre-diabetes and not really sure what that means. But if you could prevent those people from crossing over into type 2 diabetes and having to go on to medications, that would, and, and do it through this natural solution that gives them back what they're missing in their microbiome, there's just a big opportunity there. Um, um, I think, to, to really be a game changer in health. And Colleen, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, your product is a symbiotic. So it has the probiotic and the prebiotic mixed in. So it's got the, little, the food for the little bacteria, correct? It does. I always say, like, if you're going to drop me off on a deserted island, I uh, would also like to be dropped off with sandwiches and beer, please. So, <laughs> we're, so we're giving them the food plus the microbes. And this is part of why we um, don't need people to change their diet in the clinical trials in order to see efficacy. We're really delivering the whole package there in the pill. Yeah, that's fascinating. And going back to your point, so I'm half Native American, so I have an exquisite kind of risk for type two diabetes. If, if I put myself, you know, eating a lot of carbohydrates, seed oils, all those things. So I have to be very careful. What I noticed on the CGM, even, uh, and I have metabolic flexibility, but even with, uh, foods that are classically, um, would be a good glycemic index. I still have a pretty exaggerated response. So I'm really excited to see like how this kind of tempers that it's very interesting to me. Yeah, and I think that's really the, the, the value of the CGMs is understanding that every person's body responds to these different foods in, in different ways. And, you know, like I'm Chinese and, and rice is a big part of uh, the Chinese diet. And um, it's funny because my, my kids, they don't eat so much rice. And actually, you know, glycemic response for the two of us uh, with rice is, is actually different. So um, it, it, they're my kids. They're genetically mine, but they respond to foods differently. Yeah, and that's the wonders of the CGM too. So, you know, it also allows you to not 
fall short in uh, uh, subscribing to dogma, right? Everyone's different. So it's the interesting thing we're finding out is we're treating people with new technology that can show you what you do to, um, or how you react to specific carbs and specific uh, foods. There's not one diet for everybody. Absolutely. Nutrition is constantly on some kind of a cycle. Somebody ought to, has probably already mapped that out. But I feel like, at least in my lifetime, there have been times when eggs were really good for me. I should eat them all the time. And then eggs have been terrible for me. I should never eat them. Back to they're really good for me. So, you know, it's 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 hard to know what's I'm just right. I'm glad they're good now, you know? <laughs> yeah, now they're definitely very good. <laughs> yeah. So as, as far as immunity, we know that um, high glucose levels blunt the immune system. And Rhett and I are board-certified anesthesiologists by trade. That's what we originally were, uh, was our specialty. And part of surgical optimization was making sure that the patient's hemoglobin A1C was as uh, optimized as possible because we we're trying to prevent wound infections. So have you guys um, done any studies or is there any thought to using pendulum uh, with surgical uh, cases to help better control uh, the patient's glucose to improve wound uh, healing? Wow, that's really that's really cool. Um, we we haven't thought about that, um, but we definitely maybe maybe the the deeper thing here is we definitely are starting to understand all the different things that A1C and and glucose metabolism play a role in it. And wound healing is is really interesting. We we were recently approached by a physician um, and we're actually, I think, getting ready to launch a study with with their their team on looking at osteoporosis um, and the idea that uh, if you were able to increase butyrate and and improve uh, A1C and blood glucose, that you would also have a positive impact on um, the the degradation of osteoporosis. And so I think really this just points to kind of the original thing we were talking about, which is how fundamental glucose metabolism is to our health and how if you can improve that, um, there's a bunch of different downstream places where you might also see benefit. So I have to ask, Colleen, and um, you guys isolated a really cool um, bacteria that does something cool for the human uh, in human race, is there anything else that you guys have found or anything you're working on in the future or something you're isolating, you know, without telling us exactly what's going on and giving up all of your spilling the beans here? Is there something exciting on the way? Yeah, I mean, that uh, the, the the foundation of the company being using sequencing to really get high resolution insights into the microbiome, uh, we didn't really let that kind of go off into the, the sunset. We've definitely been actively looking at other um indications and and other pathways that are important. And so I will say there are two places where I think there's a big opportunity. Um, One is in uh, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. This is a really complicated syndrome because it's essentially what you get diagnosed with if you can't be diagnosed with anything else. Your doctor cannot figure out why you're experiencing symptoms like bloating or pain or excessive diarrhea or constipation. And so then you kind of get put in this bucket of IBS. And it looks like there is a potential microbiome solution here, which is just about normalizing your microbiome to a certain uh, equilibrium that allows you to digest foods 
better. We've been working with Johns Hopkins um, as a collaboration looking at IBS and some pretty exciting results that they just shared with us. So I'm very excited about that one. And then the other place that I'm, I'm really intrigued by that I think there's big opportunity is in thinking about the gut-brain connection beyond just IBS. And uh, there have been some really fascinating results coming out about how neurotransmitters that are created in your gut microbiome make their way to your brain through the vagus nerve and actually uh, can function just like neurotransmitters. But your gut microbiome makes these neurotransmitters in um, uh, log orders higher concentrations than, than your neurons. And so things like GABA and dopamine they're all actually created by the gut microbiome. And you, what people are starting to find is that when you look at people who have neurodegenerative diseases, diseases where we've typically looked to the brain to solve, you, you have issues with your gut microbiome. And when I first started my career as a scientist, I worked in a pharmaceutical company. We were trying to target Parkinson's disease. And we were constantly looking at the brain and all the markers in the brain and, and neurons and how do we improve neural connections and all of that. And, and actually, one of the most fascinating discoveries that just came out was that before you start to see anything happening in the brain, you can start to see things happening in the gut. You actually have neurons in your gut and they will start to form these um, plaques in the gut neuron before they do in the brain neuron. So there's something really, really cool to uncover there. This is fascinating. And you're, you're speaking in, in my realm here now, again, back to the mind. I, I'm just curious if you've noticed anything even personally or through this research or discussions with colleagues, but just around mindfulness and or mental fitness or any type of you know training for the mind to help with uh, this whole system, essentially. Yeah, I mean, you know, I when I started taking the the pendulum pills, I um I I, th I thought I had so much more energy. I was like, my workouts are better. I'm smarter. Like I said, I didn't hit that two p.m. lull. I was like just as smart at two o'clock in the afternoon. And then I thought, okay, well, this is crazy. I mean, I made the product. Obviously, there's a placebo effect happening here. That's why I wore the CGM <laughs> to prove to myself, you know, whether. And I actually, the team gave me placebo, and they also gave me the the full on pills. And they didn't tell me which one was which because I really wanted to run the experiment. And, and that was where I started to see that, you know, my glucose spikes and crashes were actually uh, diminishing when I was on the pendulum pills. So I think, you know, what you, what I've experienced is increased energy and, and really more stable energy throughout the day. And for me, that shows up with like, I have stronger workouts. Um, I feel like I'm sharp all day long. Now, this is not a clinical trial, so it would be great to, you know, get that kind of evidence across the board. But certainly, um, we have customers that are experiencing that same thing and, and sharing it out with us. And so I think there is an opportunity there to really look at um, brain agility and maybe even memory and things like that. Hmm. Are you doing anything else for, for your immunity specifically? Well, I have to give you the good answer, which is, of course, I'm always <laughs> eating well and exercising and taking care of myself. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do think that is an important point. This is not a miracle pill. So certainly everybody should watch your nutrition, watch your exercise, and watch your microbiome. One thing about the microbiome, you always hear about microbiome diversity, a diversity score. And you hear about like the Hadza tribe in Tanzania having like the most diverse microbiome. And, you know, one of the, the principles that we have here at Thrive is uh, ancestral living principles. And 
having people get out in nature, getting some sunlight, uh, hiking, all those things, having pets, all those things. Social bonds, a tribe. And- are, are, do those have any merit in uh, causing diversity? And can you talk a little bit about the importance of a diverse microbiome and how we affect that? Absolutely. I think that one of the the clear things that has been quite consistent in all of these microbiome studies over the last decade is that diversity of the gut microbiome um, is associated with, with better health and that the kinds of things that can help you increase the diversity of your microbiome beyond your nutrition are your environmental um, kind of surroundings. And so getting back to nature, not being afraid to let your kids play in the dirt, uh, you know, letting your dog lick you, all of these things do contribute to a more diverse microbiome. And I think what we don't fully understand is the diversity, you know, exactly what is it doing and what are the things that are interacting with each other that are helping to create better health. And I think we'll learn more of that as time goes on. But what does seem to be quite consistent is that the more diverse your gut microbiome is, the more you're associated with healthy and that the less diverse, uh, the more association there is with different disease states. Yeah, and, you know, if through our own personal discovery of using the CGM, learning about metabolic dysfunction, you know, learning about um, holistic health and functional health, I think we, you know, you get you begin to understand that there are common pathways. And it's a bit of a generality, but there are common pathways, right? It's all it all bases boils down to inflammation and the uh, mind, gut, body. There's a huge connection, and so. For us, sifting through what's right and what's wrong, especially when it comes to uh, probiotic, prebiotic, it's, you know, it's even for us, it's a little difficult trying to figure out like, okay, wh- what should we tell our clients is actually going to work? You know, so I think this is huge that we've come across a strain that can actually affect a person's glucose or insulin sensitivity as it's the start of how you enter into the final common pathway of everything being inflammation, right? The cancer. Alzheimer's, there's, they're starting to find connections through all that. So I guess my question is a little more simple than all this ramblings. What, what would you tell the common listener out there if they're wanting to take a probiotic or prebiotic? Like if they're going to the grocery store or the drugstore and they're seeing all this stuff on the shelf, is there, are there other tips that you would give someone? Yeah, I, well, there is a ton of stuff on the shelves out there. So I would say the first tip is don't panic. <laughs> It's, it's hard to figure this out. And, and to your point, even really sophisticated physicians are, are having a hard time navigating the world of these different probiotics. You've got a lot of people kind of fly-by-nighters throwing a bunch of things on the shelves. You have some amazing marketers uh, really trying to, to help gear you towards, uh, guide you towards their probiotics. It's a very difficult landscape to maneuver. I would say the, the most important thing is to ask yourself, why do I want to take a probiotic? What is the problem I'm trying to solve for? And I think this is a good conversation to have with your physician or your nutritionist or dietitian because understanding what it is you're trying to solve for allows you to then measure whether you're actually solving for that. And um, I think, so for example, if you're trying to take it for GI disorders, you can take a a simple uh, self-reported questionnaire that kind of gives you a baseline of where your GI is, and then you can retake that over time and sort of see what's changing for you. I think one of the big marketing, I don't want to say scams, one of the biggest marketing schemes out there um, is talking about CFU, colony forming units. And there's this concept that like more is better. And so the higher CFUs, gee, the better that probiotic must be. And I would say to kind of move people's thinking away from more is better to 
what is better. So if you're trying to solve for a problem, understanding what the strains are and what their functions are is far more relevant than understanding how many of those things are in there. Um, and, and it's really about delivering function and not about uh, just piling on a bunch of strains. And so I, I do think that that is something that people um, maybe if you're trying to think about, is it CFUs or if, it, if it's the strains, it's really the strains are quite important. Um, and, and so I think that's that's the important part to, to look for. And I would also say if you're somebody who's trying to read papers and understand all the different meta-analyses that are out there around probiotics, you also should be wary of the use of this phrase probiotics. Not all probiotics are the same. Different strains have different functions. And so when we say, are probiotics good for you or are probiotics not good for you, you just can't lump them together. And and the um, AGA, the American Gastroenterological uh, Association, just came out with a meta-analysis saying that probiotics uh, do not show you know, clinical benefit for GI disorders. And it was quite controversial because a lot of physicians and a lot of people have observed that that's not true, that probiotics have really helped them with their GI issues. And I think it really boils down to this use of the generic term probiotics. And we're just at the cusp of being able to be more sophisticated about this. And so it's a great conversation to have with your physician. It's a great conversation to have with your local scientist who might know about microbes. Um, but this is just the beginning. You know, we're the first to really create a product in the way that we did. We've got a lot of other stuff we're creating, but there's also other really smart people out there that are doing this too. And my guess is that in the next decade, we're going to see a transformation from the use of the word probiotics to people starting to actually know strains and what they're doing and what their probiotic is doing for them. I have a, two questions. I'll ask the first one, then I'll have the follow-up question. So the first one is still in regards to um, should we take a probiotic, all those things, consideration of probiotics is the delivery system, the capsule, should that be a consideration? Yes. Well, ultimately, you don't want your probiotics to land in your stomach. So this is a great question. You need it to get to your colon. And so um, the the encapsulation matters very much. So for example, um, the pendulum glucose control pills, uh, we pay extra to get these enteric coated. And what that means is that they're acid resistant. So basically when they go into your stomach, they can resist that acid. The capsule stays intact. And it's not until it gets into your GI tract to your colon where it actually dissolves. And that's where the microbes uh, reside, and that's where you want to get them to. Um, there's still a ton to be learned about trying to um, localize and get certain microbes into certain parts of that GI tract, but at the very least, you got to get it out, you know, out of the stomach. And so um, it's more expensive to enteric coat your pills, but I think for sure it is uh, quite important if you, if you want to have efficacy. Great. Um, the other question is, in, you know, in regards to food. So we always hear that fermented foods are really good for us. Kimchi, kombucha, sauerkraut, these, you know, natto, these types of things. Um, how does, uh, do you first, do you, do you think that fermented foods are a good thing to um, in, improve your microbiome? And is it something that you employ? And do, does it really have an effect on your overall microbiome eating these types of foods? Yeah, well, I think there's a lot. I'll start with the second question, which is that there's definitely been good evidence showing that, uh, you know, intake of fermented foods does alter your microbiome. Um, I have two things. First is that I'm, I'm Chinese and there's a, you know, reasonable number of fermented foods that are part of the Chinese diet. But the second thing is I grew up in the South where there's also a lot of fermented foods because of the heat. And so I grew up eating lots of fermented foods from both of those cultures. Um, I think that 
you know, the, the, what fermented foods and in what context that's still to be sorted out. But I do think that there's, there's strong evidence that these are altering your microbiome. And it does um, make sense that as you're trying to increase diversity, you would try to uh, increase foods that would change your microbiome. And then a follow-up question. I've I've heard you talk about uh, your daughter and and, you know, she was born prematurely and you talked about how you've employed using pendulum with her and a lot of our listeners have kids. So I, if you could touch on that and tell that story, it'd be very interesting for the listeners to hear this and from you. Absolutely. I actually, when we started pendulum, it was not just because we had a technological insight into uh, how to get high resolution DNA sequencing of the microbiome. That was the technological thing we had going. The personal thing that I had going was that as I learned more about the microbiome, um, I realized that there was this connection to my daughter. And the connection was that she was born almost eight weeks prematurely. And um, when you have a baby that's born that early, you kind of you get to see them for a few seconds after they're born, and then they get taken away from you to intensive care. And she spent the first month of her life in intensive care, hooked up to all these machines and monitors, and also receiving multiple doses of antibiotics. And that's not because she had an infection. Uh, this is what is done for, for preemies because they're so fragile that you're trying to prevent them from getting an infection. And what I um, learned was that there have been studies, like really large studies across, uh, the, the biggest one that I had read at that time was in 2012, they, they studied 12,000 children. And what they found was that kids who were systematically on antibiotics before they were six months old were also systematically um, prone to obesity and ultimately diabetes as they became teenagers and, and older. And that study was uh, recently redone uh, in a slightly different way by the Mayo Clinic, and it um, re-emphasized, re-found those results, which is that in this case, infants and, and toddlers under two years of age, if they are systematically on antibiotics, they're more prone to have issues with metabolism, with obesity and diabetes. And this study also showed potential issues with um, other things like um, attention deficit disorder and celiac disease. And so it turns out that your early microbiome um, is quite important for your your longer-term health. And my daughter, I realized as she was getting older, she had some things about her that were different from the rest of us. She doesn't metabolize foods the same way. She had food sensitivities. She had to worry about what she ate. You know, she was the kid at Baskin Robbins who was asking how much dairy was in the sherbet while the rest of us are, you know, taking down our cookies and cream with no sweat. Um, And I realized that if she were missing these certain micros because of those early antibiotic treatments that she got, uh, that I had the opportunity to create a product not only that could help the world, but could even help my own child. And I think there is a lot of work to be done to understand what is an infant microbiome, what is a toddler microbiome. You know, kids go through being breastfed to being on formula to starting to eat foods and start on different kinds of foods. All of that is shaping their microbiome, and what we're realizing is that is shaping their early immune system, and it's shaping their subsequent health and life. And there's a huge opportunity for us to have early intervention in kids, and um, that, that I think, is a big opportunity. And I have both of my kids are on the pills. Awesome. That's That's awesome. So interesting because antibiotics are just used like water on kids, especially these days with everybody having ear infections and tonsillitis, and it just seems like it's being thrown at them left and right. 
Yeah, and I, I don't want to come across as like an anti-antibiotic user. Certainly, it saved a lot of lives, but I do think it's important to know that it completely decimates your microbiome. And so, this idea of like, oh, I'm just going to go and ask my doctor for an antibiotic, or I'm just going to take it prophylactically. You know, maybe we want to rethink that for a second. Yeah, yeah, good Absolutely. point, great point. It's amazing, Colleen. I mean, if on my side, and I, I imagine most people listening as well. I mean, I feel like there's just a tremendous amount of opportunity in this space, and uh, I, for one, am excited that there's there's great people and smart people working on this. So there's there's lots to come. Um, we want to respect your time and and bring the the wrap up question up, which is the same question everyone gets to close off these conversations, just to get an idea of you know what you're prioritizing uh, the most for your immunity. Um, Perhaps uh, without answering, taking a pendulum, um, what would you consider one non-negotiable for your immunity? Well, yes, getting off brand for a moment. Um, <laughs> I actually think one of the most important pillars to strong immunity that I definitely have become um, really like non-compromising about is sleep. I think um, I know that when I get insufficient sleep, that everything is compromised, but especially my immunity. And just as I've gotten older, I've realized that I can do a lot of bad things, but um, I got to get my sleep. So I think that's really core. You're not alone, Colleen. It's like nine out of 10 times everyone says sleep. So I, I'm going to stick with my old adage that sleep is a superpower. <laughs> sleep is a super. Being able to sleep is a superpower. Well, Colleen, thank you so much. I could tell you this was a big deal for, for us, in my personal opinion, that Food is the biggest connection that we have with the outside world. And so the gut is still a mystery to us, but we're really happy to learn more about it. So thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you guys so much. And um, if you you do end up uh, using Pendulum, uh, I would love to hear what you guys are experiencing or what any of your patients are experiencing because we're really just in learning phases still. And so um, I'm, I'm super excited about what the future holds. And just like we hold uh, Mark to releasing his data to us, we'll release our data to you so that you can <laughs> you can make fun of us or uh, jokes or see what we're eating late at yeah. night. How many glasses of wine we have? Oh, it's so great! I can't wait to see what you guys are doing. <laughs> All right, Colleen. Well, she was a fun scientist. Yeah, that was an amazing talk. It was really really insightful because. Brett and I are still, I think a lot of people are, a lot of docs included, are just still on that journey of really trying to understand the gut microbiome, probiotics, when to use them, when not to use them, are they effective? You know, I think the, the confusion is out there for the uh, the common consumer, but a lot of physicians uh, do, do not know uh, a lot about the gut microbiome as well. So, and it's still in its infancy too. Yeah. I mean, I... What kind of stuck out for me, and I mean, who knows, let me know if I'm like way off base on this, but I felt that it's like a good, whether you're trying to be preventative on, you know, a, a, a diabetes front or all the other conditions, frankly, she brought up, or someone that's diabetic and, you know, trying to, to come off the meds and stuff like that. I feel like it's a good like buffer to go to, to jump into, okay, yeah, take this, it'll help. But then, you, you know, you have to work on your diet and everything else since we're such a pill society, right? Versus like, okay, we got to cut everything out of your diet. And like, sometimes I feel like that's like too extreme in case, in some cases. Yeah. And I mean, you get, you can get to a point where there's so many recommendations that 
your pill uh, bucket or your pill cabinet or wherever you keep your supplements and medications can just become overflown. So yeah, you really need to decide like, why are you taking this thing? And I think that probiotics, prebiotics definitely fall into that category. Like, okay, well, I guess I should just take it because it's you know good for me. So there is a lot of, still a lot of discovery that needs to be made, but make no mistake, you know, one of these probiotic prebiotics that actually helps with blood glucose is a good place to start. Yeah. But then like, I think we, you know, we touched on it a little bit, but I mean, again, this, this goes back to obviously the thrive model, but it's like, you can't treat all this stuff in, in isolation, right? I mean, it's okay. That's, that's one, one big element. Obviously it's going to help. It's awesome. But let, let's talk about you know, your movement, your this, your that, your nutrition. I mean, I mean, that's, you know, that's where we need to get. Well, and she touched on it, right? She touched on it. She said that, I mean, there is, there is a combination of other studies out there that show there's a connection between gut and brain. So you know, yeah. whatever, whatever your ailment is, it can probably be fixed by helping other systems, and which is why what you said, you got to look at the system as a whole. Yeah. And something in the mental health realm that she touched on was amazing that a lot of your serotonin and other neurotransmitters are made by your gut microbiome. So that's really mm-hmm. cool that the the microbiome is actually producing your neurotransmitters. So if your microbiome's trashed, yeah, that probably puts you at risk for anxiety, depression, all these things. It needs to be looked at holistically, not just give somebody uh, anxiolytic or some antidepressive medication. Yeah. Yeah, Mark, I've noticed you've been a little bit happier since you put down those package muffins, you know? <laughs> muffins. Uh, I wanted I wanted to use an example when you were saying, was it you, Philip, I think the co- combination of uh, your foods? I'm like, yeah, I've noticed a big difference when I combine a chocolate chip cookie and a quart of ice cream. <laughs> <I'm no spike. laughs> yeah, package muffin is so derogatory. It's not like you eat muffins, but you eat packaged muffins. Did you know what? See what I did there? It's even worse. Oh yeah, it's worse. <laughs> it lasts for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't make this at home. This is packaged, bro. <laughs> All right. So on to the next topic. What else was fascinating to you guys about this one? For me, it was the ancestral living point when I posed that and asked about uh, gut diversity or microbiome diversity. So it is we've been you know telling our clients and patients out there, get out in the wild get out there and jump in a lake or a creek or play in some dirt and get some sunlight or pet your dog or like as she said, let your dog lick you. So all those things improve your gut microbiome, which is is really cool. And and people need to understand that, like get out of your house, get outside and get dirty. Yeah. I think I've heard uh, on other podcasts, Zach Bush talk about this as well. Like just when you're out in the forest and stick your face in a bushel of ferns, essentially, and there's like, there's so much goodness in there to to get in your body essentially yeah on a positive note mark we're always you know messing with you but i have noticed when we do our zoom meetings that you have a giant fern right behind you now so <laughs> just be listening yeah, detox at its finest man really <laughs> exactly doing my best here well and i have no doubt that the air is cleaner up there than it is down here so yes you're already you're already batting near 100 it's clean it's cold and fresh And that's a wrap. And that's a wrap. (laughs) All right. That's all we got. (laughs) All right. We need to make sure the lawyers are happy and make sure that this information is clear for everyone. So please bear with me. But 
The information on this podcast is for general informational purposes only. The statements and views expressed does not constitute a practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The Peak Health Unlocked podcast disclaims any responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of the information contained herein. Opinions and views of the guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for any statements made by guests. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have and they should seek the assistance of their own healthcare professionals for any such conditions. If you do want to become a patient of Thrive Performance in Regenerative Medicine, please go to thrivemedicine.com to contact us and we would be happy and honored to help you unlock your peak health. Thank you so much. Have a fantastic day.